Hi everyone. I'd like to take a moment to thank you so much for joining me on my adventure this year and for all the support and kind words regarding my podcast. It has definitely been a whirlwind of a year. It began with the fires and then the floods. I resigned from my job as head teacher and teacher at TAFE, leaving behind an 11-year career and my beloved students to begin my next chapter as a project manager with Cardno, just as COVID hit. Wow, what was I thinking? I began this podcast as a personal challenge for me. We've had lockdowns, friends and family who've lost their jobs or days of work. We've had offices set up at home and 50 million Zoom meetings. And let's not forget homeschooling. Hmm. We've had milestones that just couldn't be celebrated. Deaths and funerals we couldn't attend. This year has affected us all in many different ways. I feel very fortunate to have made it through the year with a healthy family, wonderful supportive friends and a feeling of contentment. And I hope that you can say or feel the same in some way. On Tuesday, I got to tick off one of my bucket list challenges of hiking to the top of Mount Kosciuszko Summit to see the most photographed trig station in New South Wales. A 13 kilometre round trip from the top of the chairlift at Threadbow, walking an elevation of around 1,000 metres to a height of 2,228 metres above sea level. And to top it off, over 700 plays of my podcast. Wow, thank you so much, guys. I really, really appreciate it. What a way to see out 2020. I hope, I really, really hope that you all have a wonderful new year and that you continue to thrive and grow in 2021. Hi, and welcome to Defining Boundaries a podcast about the interesting characters from our surveying and spatial industry and their unique perspectives on life and our industry. I'm Peter Cox and I use my 25 years of contacts as a surveyor and teacher to dig deep into the lives of others. Each fortnight, I delve into the life and times of people from all over the world who share the same profession and passions. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel like, comment, feel free to share with your friends. Do you have a question about the surveying or spatial industry? Or would you like to join me for a chat? Or would you like to hear from someone in particular? If so, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can catch up. This week, join me for part one of my chat with Craig Sandy, the Surveyor General of Victoria. So grab your drink, sit back and relax while we have that chat. Hi, and welcome to Defining Boundaries. Today, my guest is Craig Sandy. Craig is the current Surveyor General of Victoria, known also as Muddy, Madone and Sandy, I might get that one wrong, we'll check with that. A South Australian boy, Craig was born in Millicent, South Australia and grew up in Murray Bridge. 
Growing up, Craig had many ideas of what he wanted to be, a professional sportsman, photographer, architectural designer, all before enrolling at university to become a surveyor. In his 39 year career, Craig has won a few awards. 2009 SSSI Service to the Spatial Community for ACT, 2019 SSSI Spatial Professional of the Year for Victoria, 2020 SSSI Spatial Professional of the Year Asia Pacific, Fellow of Surveying and Spatial Sciences Institute, Fellow of the Institution of Surveyors of Australia, Whew, there's a few there. While in his personal time, Craig enjoys squash, he was a former player now referee, golf, jigsaw, really big ones, reading and being outside, going to bakeries, well that sounds like yum, <laughs> windmills and lighthouses. Interesting hobbies there for sure. Welcome Craig and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks Peter. So tell me a little bit about yourself Craig. You were born in Millicent, South Australia, grew up in Murray Bridge. That's a relatively small town. What was that like? Yeah, so um, Millicent and Murray Bridge are similar in size. So mm -hmm. the, uh, my, my father worked in a sawmill in a place called Mount Burr, which is where my first home was in effect. And he was an electrician. And shortly after that, he took a role in Murray Bridge and I moved to Murray Bridge as a young child. Murray Bridge is around about, or well, when I was there, it was around about 7,000 people. Uh, so it was a, it was a rural based community. Uh, we did all the things that kids do. We, we rode our bikes. We wandered around the community. We had the river that we could go and swim and fish in and whatever else. Mm. Uh, so predominantly we spent a lot of our time outside our, you know, our parents would other than when we were doing schoolwork would throw us out and say, get outside and do things. So <laughs> spent a childhood outside. And I think that's probably where my, my interest in doing outside things came from. Yeah. Plus um, played a lot of sports. So yep, yeah, yep. That, that definitely was a, and outside. Nice place. Oh, sorry. Definitely a nice place to grow up. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Being around the river, it was uh, it was a good place to be. Um, you know, my my dad loved canoes, so we'd go canoeing, we'd go swimming, we'd go fishing uh, on hot days. Which you get there, it's a good place to be, along with everyone else trying to keep cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so I mentioned a few uh, interesting nicknames that you had throughout your life. Um, yes, so I'll clarify those for you. <laughs> <laughs> Where did they come from? <laughs> so, so I have a twin brother, and so at ah. school, I can't remember. It was at, um, I think it was at high school. You probably remember if you're old enough that we all had wooden rulers that we had to use for for maths yeah. when we did graphs and geometry mm -hmm. and whatever else. And one of my mates happened to to ride on there sand plus water equals mud and gave us the nickname of muddy so my brother and i were called muddy and then when when i i started playing top level squash um it got around that i'd been called that and so because i was married at the time that they, they called me mud one and oh. that they lovingly referred to my wife at the time as mud two so right. um yes it, it's it's not one that I generally get called. Mostly um, I get called Sandy and I'm, yeah. I'll answer to that because I'm used to it. Yeah. My dad was called that in the workplace 
um, I've been called it, my grandfather was called it, so it's a name that sort of we, we answer to because we're used to it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's funny some of the nicknames that I uh, have got from people and, you know, it's always that shortening of your name or lengthening of your name or it's your name in there somewhere has been brought into it to come up with this unusual name. It's like, you know, my name's Peter, it's nice and short, but then people call me Pete. My last name was Johnson before I got married, so then it was Jono or PJ and now it's Cox and so now I'm Coxie and <laughs> the yeah. list goes on. <laughs> but Sandy is sort of one that, you know, it's not long. It's It sort of has that nicknamey ring to it anyway. So yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's probably one that stuck the longest. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so you had a few ideas of what you wanted to do but you ended up going into the surveying. So what attracted you to, to actually doing surveying at uni? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk briefly through the story. So, so I had a really great maths teacher in year 10. Mm -hmm. And while he taught us maths, and by the way, he was also our basketball coach, and, and he did a lot of things with us that uh, was well beyond what would be expected of a teacher. Yeah. But he, he, he wanted us to understand that um, mathematics wasn't just a subject that many of us would, or you know, many of them didn't necessarily like. We, we'd do yeah. it because we had to. And what he was trying to say is that, you're doing these things because there are careers that are based on things such as mathematics. And so he actually asked us to write down five things that we wanted to do. So some of those ones that I listed were the ones that at the time I wrote down. Yep. Uh, and I've actually used this in a presentation to uni students to, to say, when you're thinking about what you want to do, do things that you like. Mm. So for me, sport and being outside, uh, I, at the time, loved photography. Yeah. But I've found photography to be a bit of a... Uh, it's one of those things where it takes a lot of time to do it. And I, I'm, I'm more of the... I like the... Um, I like being in the moment and enjoying the atmosphere of there without having to worry about a camera and taking a photo and, and trying to then get the best photo and all those sorts of things that I find a bit of a hassle. Yeah, okay. Um, I, like, I like great photography, but I'm, I, I don't necessarily like doing it myself all the time. <laughs> so I prefer to be in the moment and enjoy it rather than trying to focus on the, the, the photograph. So, yeah. you know, I see people at sporting events or significant events where they spend all their time trying to video it and they don't actually enjoy the moment. Mm. I would rather enjoy that moment. So from that, that led to sort of, well, what am I going to do? And I, I drifted through to year 12 and I got to year 12 and I, I had an interest in, you know, drawing designs. I had an interest in mathematics, but I wasn't necessarily good at it. My best subject was geography by a long way. Yeah, okay. Uh, and so I started looking at things. I didn't necessarily have a desire to go to university. However, my mum was university uh, trained, and so she was going to encourage us to do that. Mm. She was a school teacher and became mm -hmm. a, a librarian. Uh, and so I started thinking about what I could do and... I listened to Rod and he said it was a little bit by accident. Well, it, it was a little bit by accident for me as well. I'd been to career counsellors that all suggested things and I've gone, uh, you know, I don't 
know if I really want to do this. Mm. I'd sort of suggested engineering, architecture. So I did the research on those. And then a friend of mine gave me a newspaper article with a, uh, a guy that became my, my lecturer. He was involved with the Institution of Surveyors called Brenton Burford. Right. Um, like Brenton Burford, great bloke. Yeah. Uh, and so I read the article and he said, do you like work? Do you, do you like being outside? You know, you interested in a little bit of mathematics, which I was. He said, maybe surveying is the thing for you. Mm. So I read it, went and did some research and put it down as my number one choice. And I, I'm not a genius by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but I got into university and did surveying and I've never looked back. Yeah, awesome. That's... um. It's amazing how the people that I've spoken to have sort of said, yeah, no, it was, wasn't in the forefront of what they wanted to do, but they weren't quite sure. And somewhere along the line, something has happened to fall onto their plate for them to go, oh, wow, this looks really good and end up... There's a surveyor in New South Wales, and I'm trying to remember his name, I'll think of it. He's got an even better story. He, he was going to become an engineer, and he got to the, uh, the enrolment... And he saw the line for engineering was huge and he saw the line for surveying was short and he was going to the cricket that day. So he became a surveyor. Oh, now, see if I can remember who his name is because I'd love him to tell that story to you. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that was a little bit like me. Like I didn't go to university for surveying, but I, um, I had to ch choose something um, to get some kind of trade or something behind me and so I was looking at what was available at TAFE knowing that I didn't really want to be in an office and then um, it was landscaping or surveying and the landscaping took four years part-time and the surveying was two years full-time so for me it was surveying and that's how I got into it so yeah there's all these little stories of you know there's some people who that's all they ever wanted to do and then there are others that sort of, yeah, you fall into it. And, you know, for me, it's been the best career ever. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of the influences in your life. So, yeah, yeah that's our challenge to, to have a, a broader influence to give others the opportunity. Yeah, most definitely. So you yep. work for the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning in the Victorian Government as yep. a Surveyor General. Tell me a little bit about your position, what you actually do in that role. Uh, so surveyor generals around the country, uh, their, their roles are very similar. So uh, predominantly their, their major role is to set and monitor the standards for surveying, mm -hmm. to provide advice in terms of not only surveying, but also uh, land status and ownership and, and things in relation to uh, government dealings in land. Uh, and we, we have some involvement, not all of the surveyor generals are on the surveyors boards, but we, we generally have some involvement with the surveyors boards. So um, the surveyors boards in effect are the regulator of the surveyors, the surveyor general. In Victoria, we're not considered a regulator, but we're certainly a monitor and we set the standards for surveying. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and that entails a whole range of things. So, in addition to the surveying component, and I, I consider place naming part of the profession of surveying, mm -hmm. is that I'm also register of geographic names. Yeah, and yep. I also have roles uh, as all of the other surveyor generals do in terms of uh, electoral boundary redistributions. 
Mm, okay. so, so we actually play an active role in ensuring that Australia has a democracy that's fair and equitable. Mm-hmm. So looking at um, where you are now, um, did you have aspirations to become a manager um, within the surveying industry? I mean, you, you, you finish year 12, you go to university and you head out into the world of surveying and, and spatial information. And um, now, 39 years later, you, you're running, looking after, you know, that side of it. So yeah, you've got so I... people underneath you. <laughs> Once I got into surveying, I always had uh, I always had the aspiration to become a licensed surveyor, and whether that was running my own business or not, it was certainly about being a licensed surveyor. And once you become licensed, that starts to put you into the leadership category. Yeah. Uh, so I certainly had that aspiration. For a very fleeting moment, I I briefly recall sitting in a a lecture where one of our lecturers started talking about the life of a surveyor general and what he was doing. And I thought that sounds pretty cool. Maybe I would want to do that one day and then (laughs) totally forgot about it Uh, until um, 2013 when I started to think about where I wanted to go and and the influence that I wanted to have. Mm. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't able to influence the uh, profession towards digitization and modernization from where I was. And so I thought I've got to look at other ways of doing it. And a guy that I knew, Gary West was about to retire as Surveyor General of the Northern Territory. And I thought that might be, that might be a good way to, to get into a place where I can start to have some influence. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, the Northern Territory was very advanced in some aspects of modernizing their cadaster. And having legislation in place that enabled things such as a coordinated cadaster to be put in place. And so I thought that might be a good place for me to go. And so I went up there um, to see what sort of a difference I could make. Oh, so you were Surveyor General up in Northern Territory? Yep. Wow, I didn't know that. There you go. Yeah, I'm probably one of the few that have ever been a dual Surveyor General. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I found there was a a guy way back in the 1800s that had been Surveyor General in New Zealand as well as an Australian state. But in terms of Australian jurisdictions, yeah, probably the only one. Right. How long were you in the Northern Territory for? Um, Three and a bit years. Mm -hmm. Gosh. Loved every second of it. If if uh, if I can promote anything, I, I would suggest that if you like the outdoors, go to the Northern Territory. There is such a, an array of things to do, uh, yeah. from the Red Centre in Alice Springs and that sort of area, right through to Hakadu and and the Northern Coastline. The Northern Territory is fantastic, and I love it. And every chance I get, I'll still go back and enjoy it. <laughs> Be pretty warm up there, that's for sure. Oh yes, mm, I love mm. the warm. Yeah, uh, it's you've a had a lot. To... <laughs> oh yeah, it's a a big difference. Pretty cold down there. <laughs> yeah, no, this was a, you know, to be honest, this is really a a dream role in terms of a surveyor. Yeah. Um, being 
being a Surveyor General of, of one of the most popular states is certainly a dream role and the ability to influence the profession and, and get us moving to where I, I see us going and where I think we need to go. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 couldn't have, I couldn't have thought of a role any better than this one, to be honest. Yeah, how long have you been in the position in Victoria for? Uh, three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, and your plans of staying there for a while? Yeah, so uh, there's a fair program that I've uh, put in place with my team mm-hmm. uh, and we, we're only scratching the surface. So, you know, I, I want to leave a legacy where there's a, a plan for our profession moving forward and that whoever comes in next can then continue to, to work towards making the surveying profession the great profession that it is and, and to be well recognised by... Uh, the community in general, not just by uh, professionals in the land development uh, mm. part of the community, but by the entire community. Yeah, interesting. Um, you've, you've had a lot to do with the spatial side of our industry also. So did your surveying play um, a, a big part in moving, you know, between the surveying and the spatial side? Yeah, so I, I got my license uh, in 1995 mm-hmm. and I thought, well, yeah, you know, getting your license is a stepping stone and, and certainly when you get your license, there's, there's a whole lot more to learn. You, you're really at the beginning of your professional learning and, and something that I'd been uh, considering and I, I recalled from university, I, I remember... Uh, our lecturer saying, oh, if you want to go outside at, you know, this particular time on this afternoon, you can see a, a GPS receiver arrive and it was on a trailer <sighs> and this trailer arrived and it was the, the first opportunity that the university had had to try a GPS receiver and to work out what to do with it. Right. And so I thought, I reckon that this might play a part in the future. And so then I, I found some companies where I was living at the time in North Queensland who were uh, involved with um, GPS technology, as it was called then, now GNSS. Mm-hmm. For those that don't understand global navigation satellite systems. Uh, and so I went out and uh, in some of my holidays, I went and worked with some companies using uh, GPS uh for surveying and then shortly after that I took on a new role. Uh, So I moved from Mackay where I was working to Townsville uh, to work specifically in using GPS for surveying. And it was during that that I started to realise that surveying is predominantly about data capture and what I was seeing was that once you capture the data you've got to put it somewhere yeah and so it was predominantly going into geographic information systems and so I had at the back of my mind that I needed to start thinking about understanding what a geographic information system was and how the capture relates to the utilization of the data and the visualization. And so I started to do some post-grad studies in in GI science through Curtin University, Mm -hmm. uh, just to broaden my horizons a little bit, understand a bit more about the broader aspects of surveying, because up until then I was very much focused on the cadastral side, which is, yeah, yeah, there was some engineering work that we'd done. You do your, your feature captures for town planning and I'd done some town planning. 
I considered whether or not I should go down the town planning path and decided against it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, go understand a little bit about that. And so I started doing post-grad work in that. And that was, it was at that time that um, in terms of jobs, I, I had some movement, some of which was created through uh, global events. Um, so, for instance, I lost my job because selective availability got turned off. Thanks, Mr. Clinton. Yeah. Uh, and then, after September 11 occurred, I lost my job again because the um, the role that I was in, which was manufacturing GPS devices and very specific ones, so I was actually involved with the electronics of the GPS, not right. actually using it as such. Yeah. Uh, all, all the investments stopped be, because the economy started to slow and the Americans stopped investing. So, oh, yeah, two okay. global events and I lost my job and ended up at Ezra Australia and spent 11 great years working with federal government clients, mm. um, improving and enhancing their geographic information systems. And not only just their systems, but actually utilizing it to answer real world questions. So we were working with clients such as Department of Health and Aging with Centrelink, in addition to the more uh, traditional geospatial agencies such as Geoscience Australia and the Department of Environment and some of those others. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, it's, Esri's a, a pretty big and powerful platform, isn't it? There's a lot that um, yeah. that can be done with it, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm. I, I was fortunate, and I, I think you, you might ask me some people that influenced my life, but certainly I had personal interactions with Jack Dangerman, and he's an interesting character, and I saw many sides of him. Uh, and, you know, his passion for our profession as geospatial scientists is just absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was part of a meeting that went predominantly for almost 12 hours with Jack. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so this was at the time when John Howard announced that the changes uh, to managing Australia's water accounts and trying to understand Australia's water accounts. Uh-huh. And so I, I facilitated a discussion with um, an Australian delegation who were looking at the management of water with Jack and it went for the best part of 12 hours and that was just one of the most amazing days I've ever spent. Yeah, right. Wow, that's um, 12 hours is pretty full on for... Yeah. Obviously, um, you know, you always say a short meeting's a good meeting, but uh, this one obviously made a big impact on you. There was was so much in this and, you know, the discussion was not one-sided by any means. It was, yeah, it was a really robust discussion. The the delegation were exploring. They they were picking Jack's brains. He was listening to them and going, yeah, there's some cool things. Um, Yeah, yeah, it, it it was pretty amazing. And uh, throughout that meeting, uh, for those that have any understanding of Esri, is that, that there's a there's a number of very senior people in Esri, and most of them were in that meeting at some point during that day. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And uh, that's probably obviously made a, a massive impact on on the way things are, are done now within the water and environment. What was interesting about Esri was at the time that I joined or around that sort of time, they they started to look at how they could actually utilize surveying information Mm -hmm. in their platform. 
So up until then, geographic information and surveying had been very much separate. You know, the surveying does what they do. And then at the end of that, you've got people who play around with GIS systems doing what they do. And, uh, and so I was working with them to bring in the surveying observations and to be able to, to utilize them. And as a result, you now see the parcel fabric manager or editor that they, mm-hmm. they have in their technology. Oh, wow. That's, um, that's so, so that is actually Australian technology and I still talk to the people that developed it. Yeah. Wow. And, and so how long have you been out of Esri for? Uh, so 2013, I think, 2013. Yeah, so seven. No, 2014. So I've been out for about six years. Six years. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's pretty good that you've still got those connections and still have those conversations and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I believe in building bridges not and, and networking and utilising those networks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For the benefit of everyone, yeah. Yeah. Mm. What are your biggest challenges at the moment um, that you see? Um, yeah, so there's probably, I'll say there's two. The, the biggest challenge in my mind is... Uh, attracting a diverse group of professionals into our profession. Uh, so I was, I was reading an article. Uh, the lady's name is is Gemma Alcock. Uh, she works for. Let me just tell you who she works for. Uh, she works for a place called Skybound Rescuer. So it's in the drone industry. Uh, and she came up with a term that I really like, which is we're a male clustered profession yes. rather than male dominated. <laughs> I remember yeah. reading that article. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're dominated by both men and women. That There may be a, a, a male cluster, but we have a lot of great female women leaders who provide a lot of uh, insight and ideas to our profession. So... Yep, we are a male cluster, but we have some awesome women who contribute to that. And so my my aim is to try and make our profession more aligned to the demographic of our community so that we can be representative and diverse. And for most of the studies, you see diversity is a requirement for innovation. So for us to be innovative, we need to be diverse. And, and that doesn't just mean women, that, that's, you know, cultural diversity, neural diversity, a whole range of, you know, we've got to be reflective of a community and embrace those different ideas and, and that people have come from different environments and they have different ways of doing things and different ideas and, and utilising the best of all of that for our benefit. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. Um... So that's challenge one. Challenge two is... <laughs> digitization and modernization of cadastral surveying processes yeah that's um so so it's a it is a challenge uh and predominantly i think we as government are sort of the in in some ways we're the blocker because the surveying profession is out there capturing their data digitally putting it into to cads and gis and and various other systems that they use for visualizing it Mm. And then through government regulation, we asked for them to give us a 2D paper plan in effect. <laughs> and, and in most jurisdictions, the paper plan was still the preferred medium for providing data uh, up until two or three years ago. Um, 
so, so, you know, I talked to the Surveyor Generals and the ACT, the legislation actually said that it had to be produced on a particular piece of paper using a black pen. Wow. <laughs> so they're, they're working through how they can change words like that in their legislation. Yeah. So, so it's to, to me, and I'm sure you understand a, a data focused um, transaction uh, we've got to get our our, our, folk, our processes to be data driven. I mean, we are a data profession. Yeah. Uh, surveyors have always had that the survey plan has always been a data management tool. Mm. Uh, it allows us to show our data, show our adoption, show the information in a visual form. And now we just have to embrace the fact that most of that visualization is digital and we have to improve our processes so that we create data flows so that we're not doing as we've done in the past, which is we get a plan, we go research all the historic stuff. We then have to basically put that together into a visualization for us to use. Well, once we've created it once in digital data, we can then pull that back without having to keep recreating it. And we can actually do the things that we're meant to be doing, which is providing great advice. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the key to a licensed surveyor is it's not the ability to measure. The key is understanding the legislative framework that enables land rights to be distributed and to be granted mm -hmm. and to know the right advice to give in relation to land transactions. And that to me is the key of what a, a licensed surveyor is. Mm -hmm. it, it's about us understanding the, uh, the way that the, uh, the parcel fabric was put together, understand the legislation that put it together and then providing advice on how you do the next transaction or how you can utilise that particular land. That to me is the key of a licensed surveyor. Yeah, okay. Um, so talking about licensed surveyors and things like that, um, what are your thoughts on the current state of the profession? Like we're talking about having um you know this um age gap older generation um you talked about you know diversity bringing people in and stuff like that um is victoria in a similar position where we do have a gap um and we need to get more licensed surveyors registered surveyors into the profession absolutely um so, so we've been hovering on around about 400 licensed surveyors for the last 10 or more years. Right. And as the, the, the government's big build program increases, the, the, the requirement to have licensed surveyors grow. Mm -hmm. Now, predominantly the licensed surveyor uh, is supervising a number of other surveyors. Ha however, you, you, we still need more of them. Uh, yep. There's only so many that can do the work that's needed. And the unfortunate thing is the lack of licensed surveyors means that there are people out there trying to do the work of a licensed surveyor that shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. uh, and that they think they understand what is needed and they don't. And that's when challenges occur. We're fortunate in that, I guess, the Torrens title system has given us a system in Australia, New Zealand and a few other countries that means that we don't have a lot of land disputes. We, we don't have our courts yeah. flogged up, clogged up with land claims and land cases. 
And so because of that great system that was created, um, you know, the, the community is probably taking that for granted a little bit. Yeah. Uh, whereas when you, you go and travel internationally and you look at what's happening in the US or you look at some of those other countries where they don't have these great land systems like in Italy and Greece and a few of those, if people could see what they had to go through for a land transaction there, they would start to realise the benefit that our system has actually got for them. So um, Hernando de Soto has written a, a great book, The Mystery of Capital, and he's he's unpacked some of the land transaction processes in, he can't, he's from Peru, but in Egypt and a few others. Now, if you said to someone to trans, to, to, transfer your land from one person to another takes 225 government processes and takes 25 years, oh. you're going to guess that the average person is probably not going to embark on that. Whereas yeah. with us, we can go to our, our local lawyer or in some states land brokers, mm. say that we want to purchase this particular piece of land and maybe three months later, You've got a you've got a deed in your name for the new piece of land. Mm. Well, that's the strength of our Torrens title system. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so for you, um, I, I guess uh, I was going to ask a question about: Do you think that uh, a degree is necessary? But um, in a way, you've you've explained that. Well, it it is because you need more of the licensed surveyors. Yeah, so you, it, I'll explain why a degree is important and it doesn't mean that everyone has to have it, but it, it means that um, as you progress through your learning, there are things that you can and can't do depending on the level of education and the, um, the, the amount of post-education development that you're willing to go through. Yeah. So... so uh, you complete year 12 and because we have to understand that we are a STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, mathematics profession. Yeah. In, in fact, we're the ultimate STEM profession because we, we, we have parts of our profession that cover all four of those. Yeah. Many of the other professions don't have that. They only deal with one of them. We actually deal with all of them. Mm. And so as STEM professionals, mathematics is a key part of it. And, so, you know, I'm, I'm not a great mathematician. I, I enjoy it. I, have, I, I like it. But when it comes to the higher mathematics, I struggle like many others. Yeah. So you've got to have year 12 to get that basic understanding of mathematics. Mm. You, you then go to university or to TAFE to get a greater understanding of how you apply that math mathematics to a profession such as surveying. And, and you've got to understand some of that. So coordinate geometry is our life. Yes. If you don't understand coordinate geometry, you can't be a surveyor. Yeah. And, and so you've got to have those basic learnings. And um, when, when you get involved with assessing university degrees and you go, why do you do some of these things? Well, it's not just to create us into a surveyor, but it's to give us a broad understanding of all the things that we interact with. Mm -hmm. So in my university degree, we got to look at land valuation. We got to look at town planning. We got to look at geomorphology and geology. We did engineering and understanding of the processes of engineering in terms of compaction, 
in, in terms of understanding hydrology and a whole range of things that we as surveyors have to have some knowledge of. Yeah. We don't have to be experienced in it. We don't have to be the most knowledgeable, but we need to have an understanding of it. And, and so a degree in surveying gives you this basic understanding of all these things. And so when you finish your degree, in effect, you've got a base level understanding of surveying. Yeah. And people go, well, I'm qualified as a degree. Well, no, you're not qualified. You've got a degree which has given you a base level of learning. Your learning really starts once you leave the degree. And it took a while for me to understand that. Uh And it's the same with a license. You've got to go through the hard yards to understand the link between the legal and the physical and the, the science of measurement to put that together to understand where a licensed surveyor sits yeah. and to learn the lessons. And until you do that, you don't understand all of that and you can't understand that because yeah. you've got to put all that together. So that's and so, always learning and getting every little piece of the puzzle to get it all together. Yep. Mm. So once you become licensed, once again, your learning starts again because you've got a basic understanding of what a licensed surveyor does and then you actually have to enhance that to where you're understanding the more complex concepts. So, sure, I'm not going to say that someone can't go to TAFE and learn surveying and become a technician or a measurement. You know, they, they can do the act of measurement, but it's understanding how you apply that measurement that is the more important and that's where the role of the more senior surveyors and the licensed surveyors come in. Mm-hmm. So, yep, we need to have technicians. We need to have people who can go in the field and do the the work. And this is where, when we start talking about the future, this is where I see the change. And you can see the change from the past. So in the past, most of the surveyor's time was spent in the field doing the the measuring because it was a manually difficult task. Mm. All the modern technology, such as EDM, if you call that it modern, (laughs) but GNSS, laser scanners, they're all technology that in effect is doing the measurement process. Yeah. And they're capturing the data. Yeah. And it's at the end of that, that someone's got to take that captured data and then apply the understanding of, well, how do we apply the error principles to the data that we've captured to ensure that we've got a statistically best result that we can get or that we can certify that within the degree of tolerance that legislation requires, this measurement is the best we've got. And then how do we apply that to the transaction of someone wanting to use that land for the benefit of our community? And that's that's where going beyond and doing the, the hard work to become a licensed surveyor gives you that overall perspective. Yeah. We, we are not just people that go out and measure. We're actually people that apply that measurement to producing more sustainable communities. Yeah. So do you regret your decision to become a surveyor? Never. <laughs> Love it. And when you embrace it in its its most broadest sense, and I always, when I go and give guest lectures at the university, I always get out the definition from the International Federation of Surveyors that describes what a surveyor is. When you look at that definition, everyone in the surveying profession, including geospatial scientists, if that's what they really want to call themselves, are really surveyors. 
and surveyors goes back a long way before any of these cool terms like geospatial scientists. Yeah. You know, surveyors were around when the Egyptians were around. In fact, there's a funny story told by a high court judge that he said God was the first surveyor. So, you know, being a surveyor is probably in my mind the first profession. Mm -hmm. So in, in your time that you have worked as a, as a surveyor, um, what would be the worst thing that has happened to you? Yeah, so my, my, my memory is pretty good. But in this case, the, the worst thing that's happened to me in my career was only a few weeks ago. Um, in, a, in a role where I have a team of 50 people to have one of those, those people killed in a road accident oh. and have to deal with that, that, that was by far the worst day of my career ever. Oh, devastating. Yeah. Sorry for the loss. That's... Bar none. Mm. And, you know, I feel for those people. And I and one of my colleagues, um, when I was on uh, council of the Institution of Surveyors, one of my colleagues actually had staff killed in a work accident. So I can only imagine how much worse it is if you're the manager or if you're the team leader uh, where one of your staff uh, gets killed because of a work accident. So, you know, in my mind, that that was by far my worst day and the worst yeah. thing that's happened to me. Um, you know, I'd like to recognise Dick Terrans. Dick Terrans was a, a great surveyor. He had a passion for passing on his knowledge to the next generation of surveyors, and we're going to miss him. Mm. Oh, that's such a shame. Yeah, sorry to thoughts that go go out to his family. That's a terrible loss. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, moving on, such a, a sad thing. Um, uh, you mentioned some of the people earlier about the biggest impact on your career. Um, you know, when yeah. Wow. The, the list is long. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there's some memorable things and, and that, you know, I was, I, I wasn't even, I hadn't even finished university. Uh, in fact, I may not have even started university. I, I uh, went and did some work once I knew I was going to become or going to go to university to do surveying. I, I went and talked to Andy Grigulis, who was the local surveyor in Murray Bridge at the time. Mm -hmm. said, would you take me out and show me what surveying's about? And he said something to me that I've never forgotten. And I, I recall this day. It was in the Adelaide Hills. It was 30... 38 degrees at least <laughs> um the, the slopes were 30 plus degrees both up and down it was covered yeah. in blackberries and we had to do a feature survey and he, he said i'll never send someone out to do a role that i wouldn't do myself so if you think that you that i'm being hard he said I've either done it or I would do it. Yeah. So if, he said, if you wouldn't do it yourself, don't send someone else. So that that's certainly something that stuck with me. And I'm very active and I enjoy being outside and I'll do a lot of things. And I, I've done some stupid things in my time as well. So, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of things I'll do. And but I, but I always took his advice that if I wouldn't be prepared to do it, then don't make someone else. Yeah, do that's it. Uh, yeah, pretty good advice. And um pretty good to have someone you know that you're learning from that that is so realistic with you and yeah yeah so so when I worked for Esri Australia Brett Bundock um, 
is the managing director and I enjoyed working with Brett. He was a good leader and, and he said something to me and, and I'll show you some things on my desk that highlight that I, I've taken to heart what he said. And he, his sort of comment was that if you look back 10 years and you look at the influences in your life, predominantly it's the, the people you meet and the books that you read. And I've, mm -hmm. I've got sitting here on my desk at least three or four that I can put my hand on straight away. So there's one, there's two, and there's three. Uh, and so that comment has been something that, um, you know, it's, it's been a driver for me and, and I've had many other leaders talk to me about read stories about successful people, uh, d d develop yourself, learn about leadership. And so this particular book and Bridget Hyacinth is someone I follow on LinkedIn, oh, yes. leading the workforce of the future. So I'm, I'm, I've just started reading that one. Okay. Um, one of the other ones relates to geographic names. So it's a history of the town that I live in. Uh, mm -hmm. Someone's put together a history of, the buildings and, and the names and various things. And the third one that I've got there is a guy by the name of Andrew Hollow. It's called From Impossible to Possible. And he, he we worked with him to create our strategy for um, strategic land assessment and information, which is the division I work within. And so his, his focus is on providing public value and mm -hmm. uh, often in, in, uh, government organisations, we're, we're given those really complex challenges. Um, and so he, he creates an approach that allows you to step-by-step step work through those. So yeah, they're the sort of books that I, I'm reading. Um, I've got a bookshelf in just about every room of the house. <laughs> my, my wife loves books. She, she studied ancient historian. Um, she, she's yeah. a wellness coach. So you know. Oh, so you've got the motivation there, the, the person behind you to, to keep uh, putting you back in the right mindset. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So yep. If I need meditation or if I just need to, you know, come down from something or, or understand why things are happening, I can just run it by. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, yep. So how did you meet your wife? Uh, we met in Canberra. That's an interesting story. <laughs> I was being set up and uh, I ended up going, ended up at a girl's night out. Oh gosh. <laughs> she didn't want me there. I didn't necessarily want to be there. Uh, and we, we talked about various things and I'd been to a place that she'd as an ancient historian would have loved to have been, which was Petra. Mm -hmm. That was part of a, a, an FIG surveying event. So I went to an FIG working week in Israel and as a side event, we got to go to Petra. And so we were talking about that and it just sort of connected from there. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. What's your guilty pleasure? Uh, I, I'm a chocolate lover. <laughs> I, I will go far and wide. <laughs> I'll even, normal, I'll, I'll even try to break restrictions to get access to chocolate. <laughs> All right, would I, you I guess my second one would be country bakeries. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice, the, uh, the, the bakeries and stuff, the nice fresh breads and cakes and things like that. Pies. <laughs> Pies. Slop, as we call them, vanilla slices. Oh, yum. <laughs>
Um, but I do have to put a plug in for a, a South Australian icon called the Kitchener Bun. Okay. Only in South Australia, and I've found one bakery in the Northern Territory that produces a real Kitchener Bun. If you right. haven't had one, you have okay. to get no, South never Australian. Had one. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, all right, we're running out of time because I know that you've got places to be. So just quickly, um, where would someone find you at a party? Uh, I'd be the one in the corner trying to hide. Oh. Would you make the same choices again if you had a do-over? Yeah. Yeah, I think so yeah. too. Even um, some of the stupid ones. You learn from mistakes. You, you learn more from the mistakes than from getting things right. Uh, and that's something that I think our society lacks a little bit. We're, we're in this this mindset of we want to get it done quickly and it should be that we should be able to just get it and grab it. Yeah. But the things that are the most worthwhile take persistence and often many failed attempts before you get it right. So, mm. um, yeah. yeah, I definitely agree. You learn from your mistakes. That's for sure. Yep. All right. I'm going to throw some quick shots at you before we leave. Yep. Uh, Cause I know you've got things to do. So yes, no hot, cold and uh, just hit me with your answer. No worries. Tea or coffee? Neither. Neither? So are you a soft drink or water? Water. Okay. Cat or dog? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a healthy person. Uh, I, I pride myself in being healthy. Except for the chocolate and pies. Well, chocolate's a vegetable. <laughs> oh, cat or dog? Um, dog person. However, I have two cats and <laughs> I wouldn't give them up yep. for anything. Same here. Sunrise or sunset? Uh, both, but I prefer sunrise. Summer or winter? Win uh, sorry, summer. Roller coasters, do you love or hate them? Yeah, love. Uh, three things you'd take to a desert island? Have to be a book, have to be my wife, Yeah. and probably a compass. Okay. Favourite song or artist? Yeah. Not big on music? I'm not a huge music fan. There's some songs I love. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Okay, we'll Pump move on. Jam is certainly one that <laughs> I've, I've used as part of my sporting life. <laughs> Favourite movie? Oh, that's a hard one. Man, I, I, I like lots of movies. To pick one, uh, let's go with Top Gun. Okay. Favourite book? Oh, I have so many of them, it's hard to pick a favourite. Yeah, I think I'd struggle picking a book. Yeah, no, if I could pick maybe a hundred. <laughs> we'll make a list. Craig yeah. Sandy's favourite books of all time. <laughs> maybe one that I'll write. Oh, well, that'll be interesting. Yes, yeah, so I've, I've found that in Australia there are, well, in Victoria alone, there are over 3,000 places that have the name Sandy as part of their place name. And so I'm going to investigate some of those. Interesting. And I, I see it as an opportunity to um, maybe change a few of them. I'm not a big fan of changing place names, but many of them are given the name just simply because there's sand in the bottom of them or whatever else rather yeah. than commemorating someone. 
I'm probably the most commemorated person in Australia. However, I, I think it would be good to replace some of those with um, more traditional owner names that are probably yeah. more reflective than... Oh, than nice. Well, that's good. Hopefully you get some of that done in your lifetime then. I hope so. <laughs> Is your glass uh, half full or half empty? Yeah, half full. Introvert or extrovert? Yeah, I'm probably more an introvert. Mm -hmm. um, if you had a warning label, what would it be? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've never thought about that. <laughs> a warning label. Yeah, I'm pretty cool. You know, it takes a lot to, to yeah. get me up. But, um, yeah. Okay, we'll move on. Pet peeve. Mm. People not willing to change. Yep. Proudest moment? Wow. Proudest moment. It was a pretty proud moment when I was given the, the National uh, Professional of the Year Award earlier this year. Mm -hmm. um, certainly um, seeing the birth of one of your children, um, that's pretty special too. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, probably hard to choose one out of that. Um, and I'd have so to say getting married to my wife. <laughs> She would be upset if I didn't think that was a proud yes, moment. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> um, favourite sport? Uh, squash. On a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> ask my kids that. <laughs> we'll ask some other people. I, I, I'll, I'll say I'm a seven, but that's only my view. Oh, that's all it is. Dream car? Porsche. Favourite colour? Oh, <laughs> Favourite colour? Red. Red. Uh, Apple or Android? Um, I use an Apple at the moment, but I've used Androids as well. I, I, I'm one of those people that I'll just use whatever I've got. Yep. Star if it's sign? technology, I'll encourage oh, it. Oh, yeah, I'm, technology, yeah. What's your star I'm sign? Piscerian. Oh, Pisces. Well, that's it for me, Craig. Thank you so much for joining me. I've uh, enjoyed listening to your stories. No worries, um, thank you. Before we go, have you got any social media platforms or any causes you'd like to promote? Yeah, so I'm a, a, an ambassador speaker for Beyond Blue. Uh-huh, uh, lovely. Men mental health uh, and, and uh, mental health uh, conditions are something that I talk about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we as a profession, um, we, we need to look after our people. Um, we, we've been through some, you know, six months of some extremely trying times. Yeah, most definitely. And so I would encourage uh, everyone to get around each other, you know, contact people that you haven't heard from or that are colleagues. Mm -hmm. Just make sure they're okay and, yeah, just look after ourselves. Wonderful. Great note to finish on. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed part one with Craig today. If so, please like, subscribe and leave a review on my channel. Stay tuned next week for part two with Craig.